Amen. Well, let's look at Psalm 34 together, and let's read it together, starting in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let my soul make its boasts in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. What is man who desires life and loves many days that he sees good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will say to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. What a great psalm that is. Many verses that we've heard over and over, over and over again, maybe in songs, uh, maybe in, in just people quoting to one another. I, I think there's even a couple coffee cup verses out there. You know, the, the, the Christian coffee cup, ver- you know, they have it. This is a Rainforest Cafe coffee cup, but... Uh, you know, the coffee cup verses, the, if you remember the, the family bookstores and the Christian bookstores and the Lifeway stores, they have the shirts and, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and, and, and all of that. And, and all of that is, there's so much packed in Psalm 34 verses that we've, we've heard before and we were very fa- familiar with. Now, the context, however, of Psalm 34 is, is actually an interesting one and, and, and even kind of... Um, kind of messy, right? It's, it's kind of messy. Uh, you see, Psalm 34 uh, connects us to a story from 1 Samuel. It connects us to a, first stor- a, sa- a story in 1 Samuel. So if, if you have an, an ESV or, or maybe another version that kind of gives a, a title to this particular psalm, it says, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, this is referring back to a story in 1 Samuel 21, uh, verses 10 through 15. So just a, a few short verses, and, and, and if you want to look it up, you can, but it's, it's an interesting story. Um, David is on the run for his life and, uh, from, from Saul, from King Saul. Y'all uh, remember that. And, and on this particular occasion, as David is fleeing, he comes to 
he comes to the temple first, and he's able to get uh, or uh, he's able to gain grain for his for his boys and stuff like that from the from the priest. Y'all remember that story? Uh, but when he leaves there, he flees out of Israel and goes into uh, into Gath, right? Into the, the the into into Gath, and and he goes to. Uh, uh, to that region where the king, his, his name is Akish. And, and, and this Psalms titled, right, Abimelech, which, which is actually a, a title for the king, of, uh, uh, the king of Gath, Akish, which means great king, right? So, so this particular psalm is referring back. Now, Akish wasn't happy about uh, David, the, the slayer of 10,000 Philistines, the slayer of of Goliath, who is from Gath, coming into his kingdom seeking refuge. He's not too happy uh, about that. So when he finds this out, he wants to get rid of David. And, and if you look what happens in the text, something odd, and, and David's kind of deceitful here. He, he pretends that he's crazy, starts drooling from his mouth in order to seek compassion from, uh, from the king of Achish. But the king is not having it, and he's having, and he's having uh, David still... Uh, removed from uh, from his kingdom. So so in this crazy weird story of, of David fleeing Saul into this uh, into Gath uh, and, and, and and deceitfully I believe uh, acting this way before the uh, before the king we we have this psalm because David still is recognizing um, that it's the Lord who is who is caring for him that it's the Lord who is, who is still shepherding him? That it's the Lord who is still caring and and uh, being his provider. And so David, even in this midst where he finds a little, he finds refuge in Gath. He is still worshiping the Lord even amidst such uncertainty and anxiety and fear for his his life from Saul, who is uh, uh, for he believes for certain is going to. Uh, kill him, but he still finds moments, and in, in, in particular this psalm, in drawing us not in, from from fear, from anxiety, but into finding peace and joy and delight in the Lord. And and so that's what this psalm is doing. It, it's kind of a weird story, but that's where this the, the context of this uh, 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 of of this particular psalm. And and this psalm, as we've read it, you you can hear the the tone, the language. It's it actually is a little bit more upbeat. Where last week we we saw the uh, the nature of a of a more of a lament psalm. This is more of an upbeat psalm, more of a, a psalm of of thanksgiving, and and but also in very specific areas of 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 protection and sovereign care of of his of God's people. Uh, are, are for him, for God's people. So, so that's the the context, and that's what this psalm is is coming out of. Now, overall, however, when we when we read this psalm, and if you if you read this psalm over and over again, and and you just kind of meditate upon the particular language and, and what's happening in in this psalm, I think it becomes really clear what the actual overarching point of the psalm is. It's certainly Thanksgiving and and rejoicing for the sovereign care of the Lord, but it becomes very clear that the point and the purpose of this psalm that, 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 that we're being pointed to, the writer David is pointing us to, is the Lord. He is pointing us first and foremost uh, to the Lord. I, I, I mean, you, I, I did the counting, but if you, if you look at Psalm 34, uh, 15 times 
uh, uh, we, is, we see used the, the proper name of God, the, the Lord, Yahweh, right? So our, the ESV uh, actually capitalizes uh, L-O-R-D. That lets you know that that's the, that's the usage of the proper name of God, Yahweh. And, and so 15 times in 22 verses, uh, he is directing us to, to the Lord, to, to Yahweh, the Lord. Um, and 12 more times, uh, he, is, he refers to, to God, the Lord, in the pronoun, in the, the, the his, the he, the him, 12 more times. So, so in just 22 verses, 15 times proper name, and then 12 more times in the, in the, the pronoun of, of the Lord. And, and this is why this is vastly important and why we're being drawn to the Lord, because we are meant to see, and what this is what the psalmist is showing us and his readers, that whether they recognize it or not, that the Lord is God. And that the Lord is the provider. That the Lord is the redeemer, the sustainer. That the Lord is his joy. That the Lord is the one who casts out fear. And, and he's showing us over and over again here and just that emphasis of the, the Lord being the purpose and the point of this particular psalm is because we as God's people are utterly dependent upon him. Now, say what we want about what, where David was at that particular point, dece, dece, uh, deceiving the, the king of Gath or not. David realized in this time of affliction in his life, in this time of trial in his life, that his utter dependence and trust is to be on the Lord. And that's what hard times do. That's what difficulty does. It is, a, it is like a fire for our souls and for our hearts to, to draw us back to what really matters, to burn off frivial frivolousness and to burn off triviality and to draw us to the Lord and that our underdependence is upon the Lord. It's also to show us that the Lord is God and that the Lord loves and cares for his people. And we see that. I mean, we, we see a loving, good caring Lord for his people. He's caring for them. And over and over again, we're, we're meant to see this. You know, again and again, this is the, just the, the point of the, of, of the Bible. It's constantly redirecting man from themselves and back to God and to God. I mean, over and over again, you see that. That that's what the Bible is doing over and over again. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at your own heart. Look to the Lord. Keep your eyes upon Him. Set your minds upon Him. Colossians chapter 3. Set your mind on the things that are above. Set your, your minds, your hearts, your souls, your, your bodies toward Him. Love the Lord your God in, in those things. That's setting our whole focus, the posture of our lives toward him. And when we're not looking at him and when we're looking at any other direction, whether it be sin or whether it be even good things, like even good God, good things in our life, that even those things that are good can still become idols of trust, idols of false security, and idols of false peace. 
That when we're looking anywhere else, those idols can take root in our hearts, even in the good things. Even in our, even in the good things. And when, when, the, when the trials of life come, when, tr- when affliction comes, what burns away and is exposed quickly is that those things cannot compare and they cannot bear the weight of our hearts. They cannot bear the, the weight of our souls of the foundation of our lives. It, it can't bear the weight. It can't hold it. If we're trusting in our spouse to, to, to keep us going, to keep us up, to, to, to all those things, well, our spouse will fail us. Our spouse will, will fail us. It's a, it's a weak foundation. It, it's, it's a weak foundation, but the Lord is drawing us ever all the time upon the foundation. Jesus calls us, he calls us, he says, to build our, to build our houses on what? On the solid rock. The rock is him. We build our, our, our lives on the solid foundation, our souls upon him, so that when the storms come, the storms of life come, when those idols can't bear the weight and, and the, that of, of our houses, the stress of, of, our, of our lives, we build our lives upon him. And that is our hope, and that is our trust, and that is our security and our peace. And so this psalm is... is is, is not just a, a, a redirection or not just a lasso that pulls us back, but it's, a, it's also a reminder and a call. It's a call to God's people to, to come. You see the invitation in this text. Oh, come. Oh, taste and see. Come, oh children. And so we are being called this morning, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, as the church scattered to, to trust, to look, to love, to to delight in the Lord this morning. So here's how Psalm 34 then does that. So the emphasis is the, is the Lord. It's pointing us to him. But this is how it does that, right? And, and I have a, a few ways to, to show us how he, how he does that. Four of them if you're taking note. So Psalm 34 calls us, the people of God, to do that very thing in these ways. And, and I think the very first way is exactly the way he starts out is he calls us to worship him. Do you see that there? To, to worship him, to worship the Lord. Look at, look at verse one. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt in his name together. So you hear the language just even in those first three verses, what we are, what we are called to do in, in how we are looking to the Lord, how we're setting the Lord as the, uh, as the, the rock, the foundation of our lives. He calls us to, to worship him, to bless him, his, to praise him with our mouths, with our, our souls, make a boast of the Lord, that we are glad in him, that we magnify the Lord. We make much of him. We exalt his name. We glorify his name. And I love also the, the, the language is not of individual. Do you see that? There's not a language of, of an individual, but there's, a, there's corporate language there. There's corporate language of, of, of the people of God. This is what we do when we gather. We gather together and we, we worship the Lord. Not just in the songs that we sing, but how we speak to one another. How we bless one another. We bless one another by speaking of the good things of God. 
by exalting him, by magnifying him, by magnifying the Lord and blessing him and praising him continually. We magnify him as we come together and worship him. And and look at all the different ways that he tells us why we magnify, why we exalt, why we worship the Lord. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered my soul, delivered me from all my fears. He tells us to worship him because he delivers us from all of our fears. Verse 17 tells us the same thing, that when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. We worship the Lord because he is our deliverer. Because he is our deliverer and he has delivered us from our fears. Now listen, there's, there are plenty of things in life to fear. There are plenty of things to give to give over to in, in anxiety and to uh, and to not trust in or, or to, to trust in over the, the Lord, the fear of man. We've talked about several of these. But there is something to be said that the one who worships the Lord is the one who knows that the Lord is his deliverer from all those fears. Because those fears do not overcome us. And in particular, the, the great fear, the great fear of of of, of death. The fear of, of judgment. We've been delivered out of sin and death because of, because of Christ. And that tells us of the, of the next one. Number verse, verse 5 shows us that, that we worship him because he is our justifier. Look at verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces have never been ashamed. And why are they radiant? Why are they not ashamed? Why are, how, how are we not ashamed before the Lord? How are we made radiant before the Lord? How are we made right or just before the Lord? Because he has accomplished it in Christ. And by his grace, he has, he has done these things. That He has accomplished these things. So he is our justifier. So he is our deliverer. He is our justifier. Look at verse 10. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The Lord is our provider. The Lord is our provider. We worship him because he is our deliverer. He's our justifier, but he is our provider. He gives us all that we need, all that needs us for for life and and righteousness. He has given us all of these things. And we, we recognize it and we praise God for him. We worship him for him. We thank him for these uh, for these blessings. And as he says, he said, the young lions, they, they suffer want and, 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 and hunger. But, but those who seek the Lord, those who are in the Lord, what do we do? We lack no good thing. We lack no good thing. What a promise that is, right? What a, what a promise that is that, that in, 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 in even in want of life, we, we go through trials and tribulations and sufferings and, and all the things that are happening uh, uh, around us and some are in lack, some are going to be in, in, in lack, but what? We trust in the Lord that we will lack no good thing. That we know that the Lord will sustain us in this time and in the times of our uh, need. What a promise that is for those who seek the Lord. So he is our deliverer. He's our justifier. He's our provider. Number four, he is our righteousness. He is righteous and he is good. Verse 15 and 16. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil and cut off the memory of those 
from the earth. The Lord is our righteous, and he will always do what is good. The Lord is righteous, and he's good. He's always doing what's good. You see that there in in these verses, that he is always enacting his justice. That that there is no sin, there's no injustice that ever uh, goes past the eyes of, of the Lord. And he will always do what is good and always do what is right. In number 5, verse 22, he is our Redeemer. He is our Redeemer. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. He is our Redeemer. What a so, so think about these things. I mean, I mean, we sit there and we can meditate on these, just these five things, and certainly the 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 list is not even close to being uh, exhausted. But just in these five ways that that we that the psalmist is calling us to magnify the Lord, to praise Him, to bless Him, to exalt Him in our hearts and in our lives, that He is our deliverer, that He is our justifier and provider, that He is always righteous and He is always good, He is always doing uh, uh, good, and that He is our Redeemer. If we just if we sit there and we or, or, or meditate on just one of those things today, we would have a list of things to worship and to magnify God of this morning, to exalt Him for this morning, and worship Him this morning, to exalt in Him. Again, right? He The purpose is God. Look at God. People, look at Him. Look at Him. Get your eyes off of yourself and look at him look what he has done look at him and the whole bible again is constantly showing us over and over again to look at him to worship him so that's the first thing uh, that it's showing us to do how to look to the lord how to magnify the lord and number two it shows us to fear him to fear him now now last week we we looked at the um we looked at the idea of fearing God from the side of a, of a lamenting psalm, but, but it, it, it's, all, it's in the same way. How do we fear God? What does it mean for us to fear God? Well, it's, it's holy reverence. That's humility. It's, it's faith. How do we fear God? We respond in faith and humility and holy reverence. So the posture of our lives is always under the authority of God, that he is God, that he is holy, and that he is righteous, right? So, and, and we also remember, we quoted this last week, you might remember, uh, Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and the fool despises, what, wisdom and destruction, instruction. So, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we fear him because we know that's the beginning point. That's the starting point of knowing and understanding God, of, of understanding that he is our deliverer, that he is our justifier, that we need a justifier, that we need a, a different righteousness than our own, that we need him, that we need a redeemer. And how do we then live our lives in light of that as we fear him? Well, we, we see over and over again, I think three different, three different times he tells us to to, to fear him. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. So those who fear the Lord, the angel uh, angels around us encamps around us what in, in protection of him who fear him. 
Look what, he, look what he's calling us to do, to fear God. Verse 9, oh, fear the Lord, you who his saints. Again, remember again um, that, the God, that the Lord is our justifier. Look at he called, that even in the Old Testament, he's, they're calling us saints. That we're call, they're calling us saints and we're, made, we're saints, we're made holy, God's holy people. Why? Because this is what Christ has done by grace. He has made us his saints. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Verse 11, come, oh children, listen to me. I will teach you of the fear of the Lord. So this psalm is teaching us there. Come, oh children. There's a call to us this morning as we read this and as we've been studying this to fear the Lord to be humble before the Lord, to have a reverence of him, to bring our faith before him, to be humble, right? We, we see him speaking of humility back in verse two. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear. Well, the humble are those who fear God because they have subjected their lives. They put themselves underneath the, the lordship of him, his, his lordship and his authority, and particularly for us as the church, the lordship of Christ. We have put ourselves under his lordship. Let the humble hear and be glad. I, I, I love that. Because we think of fear, we're thinking negative. We're thinking bad. We're thinking trembling. We're thinking shaking. We're thinking of... Uh, uh, we're thinking of the, the, the angry father who's running after their children trying to beat them and the child's running away, but that's not what it is. This is a, a fear that's directly tied to what? Look at verse two again. It's directly tied to our joy. Do you see that? It says, let the humble hear and be glad. Not scared, not run and hide, not dutifully do what you're told and then walk away because you're afraid of him. No, fearly is it's directly tied. It's directly united with our joy. And maybe that's just a cultural thing. We don't understand what it means to fear the Lord, but it's, it's not necessarily always a very negative thing. It's that, it's that, that heavy hand of a father who loves us and cares for us and in, in such a way that we know that we can humble ourselves under him because even in his discipline, we know it's for our good and it will produce gladness. It will produce joy. And even in tears, we can worship and we can magnify and we can exalt the Lord together. I love that. I mean, just thinking about that, that, that fearing him is directly tied to our joy. Not joyful this morning? You're not joyful this past week? Are you fearing the Lord? Are you fearing the Lord? Be humble. Be obedient. Be obedient to, to the Lord. Look at verses 12 through 14. It's, it's tying our obedience to, to fearing him. It's tying our obedience. Verse 12. What is man? What man is there who desires life? Right? So that's, that's, a, that's just a life. Who doesn't want to live a good life? Who doesn't want life, like vitality and, and flourishing? What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Here's the call, right? Here's the obedience. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. 
Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. How do we fear the Lord? We're also, we're our faith, but there's a call to obedience. That that humility of of seeking and pursuing a life of, of holiness. That 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 verse or that that verse right there sounds like it's from from the book of James, doesn't it? To keep our tongues from from evil and speaking deceit. I, I don't think we have to unpack that. I think we understand exactly what that means. How how quickly the tongue can speak evil, and and turn into those things and speak deceit and to uh, whether it be lie or or whatever it may be. Look at verse fourteen. It says, "Turn away from evil and do good." Seek peace and pursue it. So not this this call to obedience is not just a turn from evil, but to turn from, or but to turn to good. Uh, uh, again, oftentimes we think that the call to obedience to being obedient to the Lord is is just a don't do these things, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, don't do do this, and and really what. What the psalmist and the whole Bible is calling us to, yeah, don't do evil, but let me call you to good things. Good things that will bring gladness. Good things that will bring satisfaction. And he says, seek peace and pursue it. Go go after it. Seek peace and pursue it. So we're, we're not just turning from evil, but we are turning toward good. We're turning toward something that matters, something that produces joy. We are turning toward the Lord and we are seeking peace and we are pursuing it. We are making it a pursuit. We're making it a, a desire, a direction. There's a, so there's a gain, there's a, there's a, there's a goal, there's an aim that we have in, in the Christian life. An aim of, of, of good, an aim of, of peace, an aim of, of hope. That's all found its foundation in the Lord. That's all found its foundation in, in the Lord. And, and once again, here's another way that, um, that, that there's, a, there's a direct tie here. That fearing Him is directly tied to your satisfaction and to your contentment. That our joy, our, our fearing Him is tied directly to our satisfaction and to our contentment. Verse 9, O fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. That sounds like contentment to me. That sounds like satisfaction to me. That sounds like Paul uh, in, in Philippians, whether I am in plenty or whether I am in, in, in need, I, I'm content in the Lord. I find my peace in, in the Lord. So it's our, our contentment is not gauged upon what we have or what we don't have in, in this life, but, but our contentment and joy is what we have in God, what we have in the Lord and what He has done in our hearts and what He has done in our lives. We have no lack. Verse 12, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Again, satisfaction. That we may see good. So, so there's a direct tie of fearing the Lord with our joy and a direct tie of fearing the Lord with our satisfaction and contentment. Well, that is, that's huge. That is a, I think that is such a big point for the Christian life and that we're, we're just so quickly to forget. It's so easily to find, again, 
satisfaction, contentment, and all these other all these other avenues, or even joy in all these other avenues, and we miss the joy of fearing Him, fearing the Lord, as the psalmist is, is leading and directing us to do. So be humble, be obedient, live in righteousness. Live in righteousness. See that in verse 15. The Lord hears the cries of the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his eyes are toward their cries. So the Lord sees and hears the cries of his, of his righteous. What a, what a comforting verse I, I think that that is. That's a, that's, a, that's a shepherding verse right there for, the, for, the, uh, for those who are afflicted. For those who, uh, who, those who are crying out to the Lord, for those who are in trouble, this is a, a shepherding in in uh, a shepherding verse that the Lord hears the cries of the righteous. And it's an encouragement, I think, to to live righteously, to live in the righteousness that we have been given in Christ. You know, oftentimes uh, the um, in the in the the New Testament, particularly the Paul's letters, he he calls the the people of God to to live worthy of the gospel that they have received. To live worthy according to the gospel that they have received. And, and I, I think this is, this is the same thing. As the Lord hears the cries of the righteous and sees the righteous, let's, let's live worthy of being uh, given the gospel and hearing the gospel and being made uh, uh, righteous. And then adversely, in verse 16, the, the face of the Lord is against those who who do evil, who cut off, uh, to cut off the memory of, of them from, uh, from the earth. And did you know that in, in, uh, in, in these verses here, first uh, Peter chapter three actually quotes, uh, uh, these verses to us from, from Psalm 34. And, and after he quotes these, uh, these verses, um, uh, verses 15, I think he quotes verses 15 through, uh, um, uh, through 16. I think it's 15 and 16. You could check it later, but it's in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, he, after he quotes this, this is what he says. Listen to what Peter says. And, and, and this is just, just good application. This is the biblical application for the church. Uh, verse 13, he says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So the righteous, righteousness for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed have no fear then of them nor be troubled but in your hearts honor Christ as the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ might, may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So look what the connection that he has made for us. 
in 1 Peter chapter 3. That Again, God's people, it's almost the same that we see in, uh, in, in Psalm 34. It's a connection of trusting in the Lord. To be in, in trust in the Lord, but then be faithful to live righteously in the time that we live in. So whatever may come our way, that we're living faithfully, that we're living in righteousness according to what the Lord has given to us in this life and that we will trust him in verse 15, but we will honor in our hearts Christ as holy and that we're always being ready to what? To make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason to hope that is in you. And yet we do it with gentleness and with respect. So here's the the attitude of our lives, the attitude that even though we may face suffering, we may trial, tribulation, as it says later in Psalm 30, brokenheartedness, that we're still ready to share the hope that is in us because we still have that gladness, that goodness, because we're still worshiping the Lord because we know who he is. We firmly know who he is because we've been building our hearts and our lives upon his foundation. Even to those who revile our good behavior in Christ, that they would be put to shame. Again, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if it be for God's will, than for doing evil. Look at the connection there. Living in the righteousness of Christ, even in these present trials or sufferings, is the unique call that we have as Christians. And this is why Peter's connecting us to Psalm 34. It's because there's a unique call of the people of God to live distinctly righteous lives in this time. In times of good, in times of suffering, in times of separation, in times of trial, we're called to live in good. This is, here's, what, here's something that I, I took note of this week reading uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, My dear friends, I say again that this is our unique opportunity at this time. That is what we stand for in a world of the truth of that gospel is to let them see that it makes a difference. That it is a power that we are not mere theorists and philosophers, but that we preach the power of God and we prove that there is a power in the gospel by showing what we are. Whatever we are, Only let our citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a good word right there. What a a good word for us to hear uh, uh, this morning. Let us live out the gospel that we have been given to us. Again, as what the the New Testament tells us in uh, Paul's epistles, that we would live worthy of the gospel that we have been given. So we have worship him. We have fear him. Number three. We have delight in him. We have delight in him. Verse 2. We've been to verse 2 before, but look back up to verse 2. My soul makes his its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. My soul. And this is this is our being. This is who we are. This isn't just the external, but it's it's it's, this is the, the, the who we are, the essence of, of who we are, our souls. It's like the, the, the depths of, of who we are. You, you, you just feel it, right? You, you just you feel it. So what is it? My soul makes its boast. That's what we, we live for. It's what we are exalting in. It's what we are making much of is in 
the Lord. So we are delighting in him with our soul. So it's a call to make a delight in him. Right? Man, delighting is such an interesting word, right? This, by the way, this really connects back up to the first point, worshiping him. But, but there's also some specifics of delighting in him and that we enjoy the Lord. That we enjoy the Lord. Um, and, and, and you know what verse I'm getting to next, and that is verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? Any, does anybody, right, by, by a show of hands, those who have their cameras on, by a show of hands, have you ever seen a cop, coffee cup verse with that, with, or a coffee cup with that verse? Oh, Miss Debbie has, Miss Diane, yeah, they're all over the place, so not mine. This one doesn't have it, but yes. This is a verse that we're, 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 we know well if you've been around Christian circles, which most of us have. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You, you know, when you, um, when you eat a, a really good meal, or when you have a, a really good meal uh, or, or something really good or you taste something uh, really good, what's, what's one of the first things that you want to do? after you, you take a bite of, of that particular meal, whatever it is, think of that, that great meal you've had, that epic meal. I have a couple epic meals, one in particular that's really sticking out. This epic meal that you eat, and you're just kind of like, oh, amazing. What's the first thing that you want to do? You want to tell everybody around you, number one, you missed out by ordering the wrong thing, and number two, you want them to enjoy it with you. You want them to enjoy it with you. You want them to delight in, in it with you. That you want them to, to, to boast in, in it with you. So, so you, you might, uh, no, not, not now. Don't do it now because we're in sickness time and, and coronavirus time. Don't share it now. But sometimes we will even cut a little piece off and we'll be like, man, you got to put this in your mouth. You got you to gotta try this. Oh, taste and see this, this steak that I have or this... Or, or this meal that I have that, that is just amazing. You want to share it with others. You want to them to taste it so that they too would have the proof of the same experience that you've had in tasting it that it is what? That it is good. That you're not playing a joke. You want them to see it so that they will join you in enjoying it with you. And when someone else joins in with you, what are they gaining as much as you have? Certainty in the delight. They're gaining certainty that what you are delighting in is good and not bad for them. So look at this. This is a, this is a call to, to not only all of us individually to come taste and see that it is good, but it's a call to each other, to others. Oh, come taste and see that the Lord is good. And what is good? Is it just another piece of meat? Is it just another piece of steak? Yeah, all those things are, are good, but the call is the Lord. Oh, come and see church, come and see that the Lord is good. Taste it and see that the Lord is good. And why? To know it to be certain that it is the Lord who is good. That above all things, the Lord is good. How, do we, how can we say that? How can we say that in these times? How, do we, how, can, how can we trust in the Lord that he is good? Well, our, our life isn't built upon our own circumstances. Our hearts are not meant to be, in a sense, gauged by our souls or not to be directed by our circumstances in life, or even our own sin and, and anxieties and fear, but it's what? 
foundation is the Lord. So we have certainty that the that the Lord is good and that we call others to good because we have the experience of his goodness in Christ. We have the experience of his peace, of his forgiveness. We have the assurance of his, of his love and of his grace and of his salvation because of what he has done in Christ. Our experience is Christ. The tasting is Christ. The seeing is is Christ. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. What a, what a love that is. What a, again, just a, a promise. A promise to us that is blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That finds refuge. Again, man, we, we easy to find refuge in so many things. But blessed is the man who finds his refuge in him. So number three is to delight in him. Lastly, number four, trust in him and draw near to him. I think those two go together. Trust in him and draw near to him. And we see that in verses seven, the, the very end there, verses 17 through 22. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. What he says in verse 17. When the righteous cry for help in the Lord, he hears and delivers them from their troubles. From their troubles. Man, where, where do we get troubles from? Well, we get troubles from ourselves, our own self-inflicted sin, self-inflicted consequences of our own actions and, and, and troubles come our way. But, but just troubles of living in a fallen world. I mean, look at the, the consequences of living in a, in, in a fallen world that are, that are overtaking us now in a sense. But look at the promise, the, the promise of those who, who draw near to him, the promise to those who are in righteousness, the, the righteous that cry out to the Lord and hears, he hears them in their times of troubles. What does it say? He says, look at this promise. So this, this is a promise. And you might need to write this promise down. It says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Now, I think that this verse can go two ways. Number one, it goes to the repentant. This is for the repentant, those who are, who are being drawn in Christ in their sin, that the Lord is, comes near those, those who are brokenhearted and, and those who are crushed in spirit because of their, their sin and their unrighteousness before God. They're, they're broken before the Lord and they're drawn to, his, to him. He's, he's drawing them to himself. What does it say? It says that the Lord draws near to them. But also it's the promise to the Christian that in our brokenheartedness, in our in this life, in the troubles that come our way, what does this say? That he is near to us. What a, what a gift that is. What a promise that is that he is near to us in these days. That he is near to us in, in those days of, of, uh, of lack. You know, I mentioned earlier this uh, today that um, 
that I, I told you it was kind of a hard, harder week that for us to get together for me because missing the Lord's Supper in that time. But one of the things that it, it kind of drew me to was the just the thought of how many of those who who are Christians who who don't get to enjoy the Lord's Supper with the church anymore, whether they're homebound or uh, whether they are maybe uh, missionaries in a foreign land or, um, or or whatever it may be, that they that they have missed not just one Lord's Supper, but a whole year or two years. What longing that they must have, and and the Lord is teaching teaching me, and even in this time, of of, of in a sense grieving that sense that we don't get to enjoy that uh, uh, together this morning. That still that the Lord is near, the brokenhearted, and that the Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. He is with us in our affliction, verse nineteen, and He delivers him out of them all. That even in our affliction, he delivers us out of them all. How amazing it is to think about that. Again, another promise. That in our affliction, the Lord delivers us out of them all. But look at verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That straight up is a gospel promise. Because what is our greatest enemy? What has been our greatest troubles? What has been our greatest affliction? What has broken our hearts the most? What has been our greatest enemy? To, our, to each one of us, sin. Sin and the effects of sin and death has always been our enemy. And in the gospel, we have seen that promise that in Christ, that through the cross, that the Lord has brought redemption, that the Lord has brought salvation and will save those and will deliver us and redeem us. The Lord redeems the life of his servant. He redeems us and none of those who take refuge in him will will be condemned. And actually, if you look back up to verse 20, that should be a familiar verse for us because we have talked about verse 20 a couple weeks ago as we looked at Jesus on the cross that none of his bones were broken. That even in the affliction of bearing the wrath of God, none of the bones were were broken in Christ. And so we see this, this pointer to the cross. We see this pointer to a fulfillment of Jesus on the cross. And what does this then give us in this promise that we as the church, we can have assurance in a sovereign God. That, that those who have been redeemed, his church, guess what? We are not condemned. And why? Because Christ was condemned on our behalf. He experienced our condemnation. He is the one who died. So take joy. (laughs) Rejoice. Bless. Magnify. Exalt. Be glad in the Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good because Christ has took your due penalty. Rejoiced in the promises of the gospel. I think verse 22, as much as, oh, 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 taste and see that the Lord is good. That's a wonderful verse. Memorize that verse. I mean, I think all the more, a challenge this week for you, uh, for our church, is to memorize verse 22. 
Memorize verse 22, that the Lord redeems the life of his servant and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. What a, what a verse to, uh, uh, for us to memorize. Let it be the, the, the weapon in times of affliction and brokenheartedness and suffering and doubt and temptation and separation. Whatever it may be that you are, are, are going through, whatever it may come in the future, that this would be a verse, a, a, a weapon that you may wield in times of, of need. The power of the word of God over, uh, over those times that we can trust in his promises. This is a call. These are a promises to trust in the Lord and to draw near to him in times of affliction. And, and just as is easy to in uh, this right now in these times, I think we're finding ourselves and some of us are finding ourselves. We're just kind of bouncing back and forth from uh, from from media and stats of all the things that are going on, and you know, every day or twice a day, we're checking the stats and what the where the the virus count is uh, at at any moment, and we're bouncing between that and and just kind of an endless consumption of 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 entertainment and media that's all around us and it's easily accessible for now. Uh, we're we're missing out, I think, in the chance that the Lord has given us. To not try to satisfy those longings there, but the satisfying are these the deep desires and the deep longings that are in our soul, that are in our hearts, that are meant to be satisfied in trusting in the Lord and being drawn to Him. If there's any fear, if there's any anxiety or in any of this that's happening right now, let it rest in these promises. And don't neglect the, the nurturing of your soul through the Word of God. That the word of God wash over you. I think that's why I've been drawn to the Psalms these weeks. Because it's just been washing over me. It's just washing over my heart in these times of, uh, <laughs> of uncertainty. And, and really uh, 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 not knowing. But there is a certainty in the Lord. And trusting in, in Him. So let's find our rest in, in Him as we draw near to Him. So, so wrapping this up. Wrapping up this up this real quick. We're called and reminded to worship the Lord, to fear Him, to delight in Him, and to trust in Him. That's that's what um, is is karamdeo. That's that's living in the presence of God, living before the face of of God. That's living under the authority of God to His glory in Christ Jesus alone. That's what our lives are to be about, and and that's what the the righteous do, and that's what transform us it's the glory and grace of god that has transformed us and made us new but that doesn't just leave us there does it there's a call there's that invitation to come taste and see come oh children and and listen to me and i will teach you to fear the lord this does something this this does something does something these promises um, do does something in us is that it also gives us a a purpose and not only in that change but it directs us to do something in how we live in this world the transformation of the Lord through the proclamation of the gospel by grace through faith it renews and restores us to a gospel centered life in the Word of God before the world so it affects then every sphere of our life. And, and so then every area of our life, whether it be work, whether it be in our marriages, whether it be in our friendships, whether it be in, in, in any, any other sphere of our life is marked by this delight and worship and fear 
of the Lord. Back to first, uh, back to first Timothy chapter two, this time he says this, he says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk by that it may, that you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Ah, he's quoting again Psalm 34, now verse 8. So if we indeed have tasted that the Lord is good, let that change of that taste of experiencing and seeing change how we live. No longer like newborn infants, but we're growing in the Word of God. We're growing in the Scripture, and we're putting away all malice. We're putting away all deceit and hypocrisy and envy. This sounds just like verses 13 and 14. It changes our lives. You know, this, the gospel changes our lives. It changes how we live. It changes how we respond. It changes how we, we speak. It totally changes our posture toward the world, toward how we live before man, how we live before God. You know, one of the great examples, I think, before us is, is the first church. The, the, the ancient church, how, how did the gospel spread? How did the gospel spread in, in the ways that it did in that first century in the ancient church? Well, number one, it was the Lord's will and it was the Lord's work through the Holy Spirit. By all means, it is the Lord's work through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of the word of God. But it was also, and you see this throughout the book of Acts, and we see this throughout history, but it was also Christians just being Christians. That they actually were being Christians. That in their love for one another, in their care for one another, in their humility toward one another and toward the world and how they live before the world, being Christian is what changed the world. And that type of impact and that type of life impacted that pagan world. And, and there's no question, brothers and sisters, that even now in social distancing, there's no question that how we still live our life and being Christian is still the greatest need for our world today. Christians actually being Christian. This is a, a so there's a there's a call to direct our hearts and our attentions and our lives toward the Lord and to delight in Him, but in that in acts and obedience toward toward the toward the toward Christ and toward the Lord, but also in how we live before the world, and how we live and how we act before the world. Psalm 34, a delightful psalm. I, I hope that it has helped you. I hope this encouraged you. It has encouraged me has uh, fed me this this week.